Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, smash it twice, smash it again. Do it an odd number of times in case you're like toggling it off there by hitting it the even the second time. You didn't, but, think, um, that, didn't think that went through, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but tell somebody, tell anybody that you listen to Lamestream Sports. Can we get Dimitri Kaladimos to tell everybody about Lamestream Sports? <laughs> Maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's the secret. <laughs> oh, man. Mike Oregon, our guest on the show today, uh, what, 30 plus years at the Tennessean? More 35. than that. 35 years at the Tennessean. And, and a couple of different things we wanted to talk to him about. I, I, obviously, he wrote the obituary for Joe Biddle, who passed away last week. I know you, of course, Steve, last on last week's episode, had a few minutes to talk about your personal relationship with him. But the two things I think we wanted to talk about with Mike was just sort of his, uh, you know, his relationship and sort of his perspective on on Joe's career and what made him good. But also, there's like this second track of story between the Nashville Banner and and the Tennessean and what that was like when it all was very competitive, very healthy for the market. But then Joe transitioning across literally the hallway, and I th- I think anyone you know, under the age of 30 probably has no concept of what all of that was like. So I think that those are sort of the two goals we wanted to to accomplish here today, talking with Mike and Mike does a great job and very gracious with his time. We do appreciate him. Um, we've also got some questions that we'll ask after the interview about, is there any modern new form of gatekeeping that will ever take place in media at, ever again at any point during the history of life? <laughs> so we'll, so we'll discuss that after uh, maybe con- Elon, maybe I wouldn't get my hopes up, but um, <laughs> stick to rocket ships and cars, dude. That's all I, uh, you know, let, let the people who understand media deal with media anyway. Um, it's not your it's not your play toy in the in, in the backyard. OK, Elon. Anyway. All right. You got me going, Steve. So Mike Oregon uh, going to be our guest today. And then we've got some recommendations. Uh, Steve's got some news we'll get to a little bit later on as well. So a lot of stuff to do today on the show however before we do that lamestream sports is brought to you by jaspers always brought to you by the fine quarter zips at jaspers (laughs) (laughs) if you know you know um (laughs) go to jaspers everybody because listen they got great drink specials you guys know all the stuff right like you know all the the parking and the drink specials and the menu and all the other you know the game room is free and the grab-and-go market and the porch and the patio which by the way Still beautiful weather to to use the patio. Great place to watch games. The problem is, is that there's like Titans offense makes you drink. You need some drink specials. Two for ones on Sundays. Preds power play. Preds in general. Preds hockey. NHL hockey makes you drink. They've got great specials. $10 smash burgers. $3 beers. You're going to need a lot more of those $3 beers if you're watching your Nashville Predators these days. Uh, So make sure Jaspers has you covered for all of those things. Not, Not a lot of drink specials on Saturdays. Because Tennessee volunteer football is very fun to watch. So no drink specials <laughs> during Tennessee volunteer games. But during on Sundays and during Preds games, Jaspers has you covered uh, because you all need it right now. Uh, as, at least that's my perspective. Jaspers, the friend you need, not the, necessarily the friend you knew you needed. <laughs> A lot more yards per play at Jaspers than the Tennessee Titans offense. Um, that is for sure. And the specials are great, unlike the Preds special teams. So I, I think... I think we've sufficiently made Jaspers, fun of our... They might pass every now and then. <laughs> oh, wait. 
there's probably some joke about you know we, hey, can, work, we can we can keep workshopping this. I was gonna say pass pass the salt, unlike Malik Willis. Like I, <laughs> what are, what are we doing? <laughs> are we done? Are we done? We're done. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Go go to Jasper's, of course. So uh, a philosophical question about the future of media, some news, and some uh, ratings and recs coming up a little bit later on in the show. But uh, uh, remembering Joe Biddle, his his career here, and then sort of the dynamics between the Nashville Banner. And the Tennessean during his heyday and during Mike's heyday. This was our conversation with longtime Tennessean reporter and columnist Mike Organ. Mike, it is great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm a little tired from uh, a lot of work over the last uh, few uh, weeks and months. But uh, well, that happens when you cover every single team in the market at one time. Well, it used to not be that big a deal when we didn't have all those teams. You know, when I, I started out earlier in my career, you could kind of bounce around. And that's kind of what I took on back in the 90s, early 90s was, yeah, I'll do anything you want, you know, anytime. And then this explosion happened. And now we've got every sport represented pretty much except for baseball and basketball. But it, of course, we have baseball still represented, even if it's not on the top level. But yeah, uh, I've been off a little bit more than I could chew back in the day. Hey, I don't. I don't hear Teresa complaining about it. Okay. I, All right. All right. Well, I'm not trying. I can't mimic Teresa by any stretch of the imagination, so <laughs> I won't be held up to that standard. Uh, and 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 no one else can. Very few can. So yeah. there's there's no no shame in that at all. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we wanted to talk to you today about the passing of of Joe Biddle. We'll we'll get into all the things that are happening in the last couple of months for you in terms of the Tennessee and everything else. But um, that's obviously what we wanted to talk to you. Wrote the obit. Excellent job. And just first, first, like just to start things off here, do you remember the first time you met Joe Biddle and what what you came away from that experience with when you met him? Well, you got to realize when I came to the Tennessean, I had all these uh, uh, this hero worship for all these guys going back to Joe Biddle and Fred Russell, who was still at the uh, National Banner at the time. Uh, uh, Edgar Allen, who had gotten me into this uh, business, uh, was at the Banner at the time. And then John Bibb at the Tennessee and David Clymer and Larry Woody and Jimmy Davey. So uh, uh, when I came in, you know, to, to get to even be in the presence of the, any of these guys was huge and on both sides, you know, the Tennessee and, and the banner. As far as the first time I remember being, being around Joe, uh, my, comp- my, my relationship with Joe Biddle is one of the most complex that I've had in my lifetime because as I said, I grew up admiring this guy, reading this guy, uh, so informative, had so many connections in town that I admired him. Then all of a sudden I'm a competitor, you know, and then all of a sudden he's taking sh- uh, shots at my boss and and my colleagues, never at me because I was too far down on the uh, totem pole at that time. But now I grow to hate Joe Biddle uh, early on <laughs> in my career. Uh, and and then uh, the the. First time I met him, I do remember that. Uh, I believe right now was uh, I believe we ran into each other at a restaurant over on Church Street, <laughs> and he came over and told me what to order, and I was with two other co- coworkers. Uh, they were interns actually, and told you know that's what they liked, and he told them what to order, and we sat there and talked about food for about I don't know 15, 10, 15 minutes. While we were in line to to get whatever we were getting, it was a the type where you go through the line and order off, and then you go sit down after that. And uh, I thought, what a nice guy, you know. He was just 
And of course, I already knew that he was famous for knowing all the best, you know, eat spots in the in the southeast. Uh, Joe Joe never and, missed a good meal. No, he did not. And it, eating was a very important uh, 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 thing for Joe. So uh, at that point, I started to like Joe, and I thought, hey, maybe I'm the only guy on this staff that likes him. <laughs> and we had an amicable relationship for uh, for many years. Of course, we didn't like I said, I was covering high schools and. OVC, MTSU. So I didn't dabble in a lot of what he was doing. So he didn't take any shots at me and, and we didn't have any conflicts like that. Then the banner closes and I I never saw it coming, uh, you know, and uh, uh, we announced that same day in 1998 that uh, Joe will come work for us. Uh, he was one of several journalists from the, the banner that would come over. And that was unheard of before that because there was a unwritten rule that you couldn't cross the, the hall. If, if somebody got fired on one side, they didn't go work for the other side. And, uh, but this was obviously special circumstances. So, uh, 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 Sutherland, at the, who was editor at the Tennessean at the time said, you know, I'm making no bones about it. I want Joe Biddle over here. And I remember he, he sending me an email and, uh, uh, he sent a lot of uh, individual emails to some guys about, you know, Hey, I'm coming over there. I hope we can let bygones be bygones and, uh, you know, uh, anything I can do. Very nice email. And I sent it back and I said, you know, Joe, I didn't, you know, you and I haven't had any, you know, issues, I I don't believe, over the years. And then it ended up that uh, Tennessee uh, was on a tear to around this same time to win a national championship. So David Clymer naturally kind of gravitated, uh, one of our uh, columnists, uh, gravitated toward covering Tennessee and uh, through that championship run. And that left Joe traveling with me with uh, Vanderbilt. I was the Vanderbilt big writer. I was probably in my eighth or ninth year of covering Vanderbilt at the time. So Joe and I all of a sudden became closer than any two. Uh, he became my closest uh, workmate uh, because we're traveling and he's going to the uh, one of five coaches. I don't remember which one it was at that time, probably <laughs> Woody or Bobby Johnson press conference with me every week. Hope it wasn't Rod Dauhauer. I don't know how we would have survived that. But uh, <laughs> he's going to the press conference every week with me, maybe going to practice one day a week. So Joe and I now become closer than anybody that I'm uh, close with at the Tennessee and, and because we're out covering this team that nobody's paying attention to while everybody else is watching Tennessee win a national championship. The Tennessee Titans come to town and the National Predators come to town. All that kind of happened at one time, you know, in a little window. And uh, somebody still had to cover Vanderbilt, so that ended up being me and Joe, basically. And uh, I, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I want to obviously explore your relationship with him and, and and hear some more about who he was. But can you guys, and, and maybe Steve can speak to this as well, like try to explain for those that do not understand the rivalry between the Banner and the Tennessean. Like, and, and, and when it was at its heyday, what did that actually mean for Nashville consumers in the market? It was fantastic for Nashville consumers. It was the best thing, and we missed we missed it ever since because you had two entities doing their best to beat the other, and therefore the end result was more news, more scoops, more hard work that could not be imitated any other way. You couldn't you couldn't bring you couldn't. Uh, incite that or bring that about any other way than with competition. 
And uh, when, when that dropped off, the, 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 that hurt. Uh, when, when you started had to, having to look to see who, who handled the scoop you had. You got a, a scoop and you were so proud of it. Then you wanted to see how the other you know, news source, sources handled it. And you lost that. And, and uh, uh, Mike, uh, as talk, I said talk earlier, a I didn't about, see it coming. Talk a little bit about preps in that respect. Because, I mean, when you were on the prep beat, it covered high schools. It was there was a lot of that pressure, especially around recruiting, uh, because like there would be big recruits out there that that you guys and and the the banner were trying to they, that they were trying to break the story of where they were going to school. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure on some big names back then. It was huge, and it, and it was just medium names too. I, I remember getting a scoop on a female basketball player from Hendersonville going to Kentucky. And I was walking into the tennis. The other thing we haven't told the uh, viewers and listeners is that uh, this was uh, 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 we were in the same building uh, and the sports departments were across the hall from each other. I mean, we would often share an elevator ride or a stairwell ride, uh, walk uh, with the competition. Uh, so the that, and that's because the that's because the business operations were combined, but the newsrooms remained separate. It was a, right. called a joint operating agreement. Yes, a JOA, and it was a national printing corporation. So we shared the uh, the presses, which was made sense economically to use the same, you know, that that same part of it. But anyway, I, I was walking in the building one night, and Harold Huggins, a legendary high school writer from the Banner, meets me and pulls me aside and congratulates me uh, on getting this scoop of a uh, female basketball player going to Kentucky. And you'd have thought a family member died. You, you, I mean, he was so solemn and just, you know, uh, I, I thought I had an in with her dad. You know, we had been <laughs> to dinner together and he had promised me. And I think she told you without consulting her dad. But, but hey, that's business. And I congratulate you on it. That's the way it was. But in a nutshell, to tell you the, how uh, intense the competition was, Jimmy Davey, uh, who worked at the Tennessee Inn for 40 years, once told me, remember this, those guys across the hall are trying to take food off of your family's table. And so if you ever want to let down or you want to become buddies with any of them, just remember they're trying to take food off your kid's plate or whatever. So, and, and it was that way. You really felt like that. And if if they got a scoop, then you were supposed to come back with something better, which is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, that's what they'd say is, well, they got it first, but you need to come with something better to, that will still make the reader want to read. And, and there's there's a there's a power behind that. There's a motivation behind that 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 drives you, right? Oh gosh, there was nothing as bad as coming into the office. And back then, we went to the office every day, at least for a little while. There was nothing as bad as coming into the office and there being a Nashville banner laying on your uh, desk because. Well, and usually it was turned to the sports page, and sometimes the story was circled. Sometimes it wasn't. It was just laying there. And what that was was your editor's way of telling you you got scooped today. So you didn't want to come around. I, I would come into the office and come around a corner, and that would be the first thing that you see because you just soon turn around, walk uh, walk out, and go back home. Then just sit <laughs> Nashville Banner laying on uh, on your chair or uh, right next to your computer. And uh, like I said, if they didn't turn to the page, you had to go over and open it and look for <laughs> your scoop, which kind of like sitting there looking for your own obituary, I guess. Uh, but it was terrible. <laughs> and 
and, and it ruins your day. I mean, you never recover for it. And then sports talk radio got big at about that time, around that time. And uh, the banner, uh, Woody and Clymer were on with Bill King and uh, uh, Bob Bell once a week. But the banner embraced radio uh, a whole lot more intensely than we did. So not only would, and Joe was on the radio every day with George Plaster. So when they would get a scoop, they'd hit you in the morning with it when the paper would come out. Then they'd hit you again at four o'clock, about 15 minutes into the uh, the show, George would announce, Joe, you guys had some news today, right? And then Joe would say what the scoop was. And then if it was Greg Pogue who had something off of the high school beats or uh, Mark McGee off the Vanderbilt beat, He'd say, yeah, let's bring Mark McGee in now and let him talk about uh, Vanderbilt, <laughs> uh, firing another coach or or whatever. And then they'd have him on for, and he'd sit there and talk for 15 minutes. And I can remember as long as 30 years ago when that was, I can remember uh, uh, Pogue uh, saying after one of his scoops, he goes, they said something, like, well, what are you doing working on tonight? And he said, I'm taking my wife out to dinner for a steak dinner at Mario's uh <laughs> Uh, to celebrate. So I'm not working tonight. <laughs> Just rub it in. I mean, like putting salt in the wound. And and then... Greg Pogue? No. no never. Man. Never. <laughs> then you had to wait till 6 o'clock, and Hope and Rudy would come on, and they would say, according to the Nashville banner, because they had to attribute whatever, and uh, 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 so you got hit with it again between your eyes. So it was a day-long thing, and it lasted into the night. It was the worst thing in the world. It was terrible. So I, I find it interesting today that like, I, I don't know, you guys correct me if you if, if you think I'm wrong here. I, I find like we're all kind of media nerds and we like doing the inside baseball stuff and we like talking about all the details of how it all works. But I feel like sometimes if you get into like arguments, like it's fine to, to yell and scream about a competitor now on Twitter and it works great. It's good for clicks and engagement and everything. How was that type of like when Joe would attack the Tennessee and like how how was that received by the like did the readers enjoy it did they love it was it just him being personal like what take us through that that like the decision making process to just go at a competitor in written form they the reader absolutely loved it I can't think of much <laughs> of anything that the reader liked more was for media guys to go after media guys I mean they just uh they loved it I mean and uh and if you were smart as a media guy, then yeah, you, well, I tell you what, it was, there were two trains of thought. One, your natural inclination was to come back and, you know, say, well, I didn't get the story and here's why, uh, because they did whatever. Like I remember there was a little running back at uh, Vanderbilt named Jermaine Johnson. And uh, he had told me around the eighth game of the year that he wasn't coming back. He had already rushed for a thousand yards and was an amazing running back. And he'd already told me he wasn't coming back and that he would tell me that on the record or I could report it after the 11th game. This is around the week eight. Well, Pogue got it around week nine from somebody else, told him, and he scooped me with it. And then, of course, I got to come back and say, well, I promised Jermaine that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, you know, just and I'm sure I sounded like I was groveling and bitter, which I was very bitter. But people probably <laughs> thought I was making this up in that respect. And yeah, people enjoyed that. Absolutely, they enjoyed it. The other train of thought was to ignore them like they were irrelevant, you know, and just say, well, so what they got that, that, that doesn't matter. We, we're not going to acknowledge their shot at us or whatever. They still had to report the news because it was out there. But you, to, to ignore the, the, a shot they took, uh, probably 
in the long run made you feel better because you know it, it made them feel irrelevant. But at the bottom line, it, it didn't it didn't make them irrelevant. They still were very relevant. So, so well, and the worst the, the worst feeling too is if you have to chase somebody else's story, particularly like you know if you were at the uh, if you were at the banner, we were an afternoon paper. You know, my shift would start at like four in the morning, mm-hmm. and there's nothing worse than coming in and seeing something uh, something in the Tennessean that you've got to chase that you that you have to get enough on the record from somebody else that you're not attributing it to the Tennessean because yeah. the worst thing in the world is to say according to those assholes across the hall <laughs> you know x, x y or z is x y or z is true and there man there is a, there is a sickening feeling at 6 a.m. trying to figure out how you're going to do that before 9 a.m. and the press starts oh absolutely yeah and, and like you said it was so terrible to have to attribute anything to them, and you wanted to call and ask the person, the subject, something that maybe they got wrong. Like, please let there be something that's incorrect <laughs> in here that you know you, that I can say as previously reported, but I don't have to say the banner or you know give them credit as previously reported. This was incorrect. Here's the, what the truth was. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Greg Pogue, Greg would get Greg would did a TV show uh, out on Dickerson Road at uh, a big warehouse. It turned into a TV studio. He did a TV show for a little while, and it was from six to seven. And then instead of going back to his home in Smyrna, Greg would just hang out in downtown every night until about 1030 or 11 o'clock when the paper came, when the Tennessean came off the press and grab one uh, from the back door. He'd pull up the back door, grab a paper, then go home to see what he had to work on. Steve was talking about the the work hours and that he was fixated. He had to know right then and there because there was no internet then. And he had to have a, he couldn't go home without having a banner. I mean, a Tennessean to read to see if he had to chase something that day. So, so there's so much wrapped into the rivalry, obviously business financials, but also ego and, and careers and all this other stuff. What, what was it in your opinion about Joe Biddle? I mean, we, we know he's connect, we know he was connected. We know he's a good writer, like all the, all the regular stuff, but what was it about Joe Biddle that just sort of tore all that, that preconceived stuff down and just said, no, 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 no. He's crossing the hallway. Uh, because of his connections, uh, as you mentioned, Joe was, uh, Joe had uh, sources that, going back to my personal relationship with Joe, somebody told me at some point while they while the banner was still thriving, Joe Biddle just is the kind of person that people like to tell things to, and uh, all the the high rollers in town at the time, Dick Horton, the head of the golf association at the time, Mike Eller, who was uh, building one of the nicest golf courses in the South at the time the mayor at the time, uh, the Vanderbilt athletics director at the time, uh, for however, uh, six or seven months, he stayed there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whoever it might've been, uh, Tennessee people, uh, Belmont people, Rick Bird, who became one of, uh, Joe's best friends. It, even, and then if Belmont was going to tell him something, Lipscomb had to establish a relationship with him too, even though he wasn't as close to Lipscomb, but they still wanted to tell him things so that they would get their news out there too. So at that point in time, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to be a writer, a gifted writer like Larry Woody, uh, Jeff Perlman. These are guys that were born knowing how to write. So I knew that wasn't going to happen for me. And Clymer was, 
made himself a good writer, and I didn't see that happening to me. But I did tell myself I can become connected like Joe. I can be nice to people, just natural to people, and I would love to to be known as somebody that has a lot of connections. So I, that's I set my uh, uh, goal for my career. I modeled it after Joe pretty much because of his connections. And back to your original question, that's why uh, Frank Sutherland had no qualms about bringing Joe over and did it that day because he knew he's going to get hired uh, by somebody else uh, right away. Uh, so, yeah, he brought him over just to bring those connections to us. And it paid off. I mean, I, I remember chasing the uh, Kevin Stallings basketball coaching story forever. I mean, I must have written 10 guys or, you know, could be, are expected to be hired today or whatever. And then Joe calls me from the uh, Final Four and says, hey, have you had Kevin Stallings yet? And I said, no, because Kevin was doing very well at Illinois State at the time. He goes, uh, I'm told that that's the big thing you always say is I am told that way you don't have to give up your source. He said, I am told that he he's your next coach. And lo and behold, two or three days later, it was, you know, it was announced. So he helped me get that scoop. Well, can, can you give me quickly just the first couple of weeks? Like, no crossing over, not allowed. Your 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 direct competition. It's all ego and finance. But but then all of a sudden you got he's across the line. What was the first couple of weeks and months like? It wasn't as bad, I think, as Joe thought it was going to be. Joe was very apprehensive about it. Uh, it wasn't as bad as Joe expected it to be, and I think some of us thought it might be for two reasons. One. It hurt us to hear the banner was closing. I mean, because it was so close to home. And we did not uh, uh, relish that. We we did not celebrate the banner's closing whatsoever because this is about the time that newspapers were starting to slack off. They weren't the first uh, evening paper to close. And it hit too close to home for us to celebrate. We were like, well, if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. So there was that part of it. There was another part of it for people like me who believed what Frank said and, and thought, you know, I'm glad we're getting a guy uh, of this caliber. Uh, as far as Woody and Clymer at the time, I don't know how excited they were because they had been the uh, target of some of uh, uh, Joe's shots. Uh, but uh, everybody pretty much accepted it. And uh, uh, as an end result, Woody was a pallbearer at Joe's uh, funeral on Tuesday uh, and ended up being probably his closest friend at the end. Uh, and that went from uh, uh, Joe taking quite a few pot shots at Woody back in the day when Woody had some issues with Eddie Fogler and Biddle became one of Eddie Fogler's closest confidants. So uh, when when Woody would write something about Fogler, Biddle would come back with, he'd talk to Eddie Fogler actually, and Woody hadn't talked to him, and he'd come back with something spicy. So <laughs> uh, it, it, but it was an interesting dynamic when, when he first came over, and I think Woody kind of was ready to bury the hatchet right away. Uh, and and I think Clymer was happy because, as I explained those dynamics earlier, what was happening in Nashville at the time, I think Clymer was happy, hey, I don't have to mess with Vanderbilt anymore. I don't have to mess with the sounds anymore. You know, Biddle will take care of that stuff. He'll take care of the local stuff, and, and I can focus on – what's going on with the NFL, what's going on with the NHL, and I can cover, he could cover his beloved balls going to the national championship. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. It's hosted by Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. And it is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you 
by the good people at Jasper's. So Jasper's has all kinds of like we've talked we've told you guys about all the specials that happen at the building, but they also do the uh, the tailgate experience at home. Uh, and I am I, I have a problem this weekend with the Tennessee Georgia game because we're going to host some friends and family and some kids, and we've got like we've got some kids that like don't can't eat dairy, whatever. We've got some kids that don't eat meat yet, whatever. I, I would call that bad parenting, but whatever on both sides. Um, sorry, friends, if you listen, I love you all. Um, uh, but there's just some, you know, there's some stuff going on where you have to be complicated with the menu. This is where you can just go to Jasper's and like my wife doesn't have to make a bunch of dips, doesn't have to make a bunch of things for the, for the crowd. I, I don't have to worry about the dietary restrictions of like 47 little kids under the age of six. I can just go to Jasper's and say, give it all to me. Just give it all to me and have it show up at my house at about, let's say one forty-five. Central Standard Time on Saturday before that CBS theme song kicks up. And all of it's going to be set up. All of it's going to be spread out. It's going to be great. I'll get some, I'll, I'll make some cocktails for myself, <laughs> not the kids. Uh, not and, the I don't kids. Have, and I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about anything. I can just go right to Jasper's tailgate menu and order right. I know you've done it before. You've done the, I, fajita, I was gonna say, done the fajita bar, right? I was going to say, is this a fajita bar moment or not? I, I don't know if the, the one and a half year old. Is gonna go for the fajita bar, but I think the six-year-old might actually, to be honest. Because again, that's my kid, which means I'm doing good parenting. So the uh, fajita bar, solid, so solid, uh, and 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 you're flooded out with accoutrement uh, that goes with it. It's just, uh, it really is just, it really is just a great way to to to, to cater. Uh, if you've got like eight or nine people or more, uh, it, it's been. Uh, we it was a huge success for us. Yes, it's a it's a huge success. So just have all the food showed up right at your house and not worry about any of the menus for all the big games that are of course coming up this weekend. So there you go. Um, lots of big stuff at Jasper's, and then again, the versatility. Uh, Mike Oregon, of course, the Swiss Army knife, as you refer to him often, uh, of coverage for the Tennessee. And this is what Jasper's is to the culinary sports bar world as the next evolution of the sports bar. You want to take. The significant other on a nice dinner, Jasper's. You want to go, you know, go get into some, go create a brouhaha with your boys and some beers after work. Go to Jasper's. Jasper's. Nothing illegal, but you know, like you can get a little rowdy. It's okay. There's a game room. Sure. You you wanna you wanna play games? I mean, that, kid? that freak that free parking riles people up. Yes, <laughs> no, no, my pants got a little tighter, Steve. Um, the uh, did not need to know that. <laughs> The the game room. If you want to bring the kiddos and have some fun and get them teach them ski ball, which should be a rite of passage as an American citizen. Work work on the form on the Papa shot. Yep, there you go. You yep. got air hockey, which I uh, appreciate you getting trolled on Twitter for your air hockey skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks, thanks Twitter. Uh, you do that to yourself, Steve. Um, if you want to sit on the patio, you know, like it's literally got anything for every. You want to bring some cheesecake home to the significant other from the grab and go market. It is literally the Swiss Army knife of the next evolution of the sports bar. I'm not sure that rolls off the tongue or like on a t shirt or anything, but it's what they are. It's the truth. It's the reality. Go to Jasper's. You mentioned something that is a very important kind of thing to those relationships. And that was golf. I mean, Biddle loved to play golf. Uh, what, what kind of, 
what kind of relationships did I mean? A lot of those relationships were, were like Rick Bird and and, and others. Spurrier like golf <laughs> <laughs> were forged out on the golf course. Uh, see if you can you describe just how much Biddle loved to play golf and 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 you know shoot the shit on a golf course. I think that's I, I never I don't know what kind of golfer he was. I think he was pretty decent. I know David Clymer was a very good golfer. Uh, Rick Bird's a scratch golfer. Uh, so he's, they were playing with some pretty good people. I think Joe wanted to be on the golf course because that, that put him in his element. But with, you know, with these, uh, and I've said it before, high rollers or influential people in town, it put him on the golf course with them, not for uh, 15 minutes, you know, running into him on the street or having lunch with them, but for four or five hours. And he didn't have to press the trying to get, a, you know, something out of them. I think he just let it naturally happen. And I think he knew that if he spent four or five hours on the golf course with two or three influential people in town, he was good for two weeks in the newspaper. He would, you know, they would tell him enough stuff that he could write that uh, uh, over that span of time that it paid off big time for him to spend time on the golf course. And there was also the part of Joe being competitive and, not only was it the golf course that Joe spent a lot of time with these people, they spent time playing basketball. Vince Gill played at Joe's uh, funeral Tuesday and talked about the downtown Y games that they used to have with a lot of former Vanderbilt basketball players. Charles Davis used to play with them. Doc Shelton, who won a state championship uh, as a high school coach here in town, would play with them. George Plaster, uh, uh, Bird would come over and play, and then they moved it over to Belmont after uh, 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 at some point, and they continued to play well into the probably the early two thousands, and had some pretty competitive games. And uh, uh, that was another thing where I think Joe enjoyed playing basketball. He and Steve Spur were on the on the high school basketball team together at Science Hill, and um, uh, I think he enjoyed playing basketball, but he also enjoyed you know knowing that. You know, during a timeout or uh, while somebody's bringing a ball in, somebody's going to come over and tell them something. Hey, by the way, uh, so-and-so's leaving, uh, lips coming, uh, uh, going somewhere else. And uh, I think it was it was twofold. I think he liked the competition, the fellowship, and knowing he's going to get something out of it. Well, and Rick was trying to eliminate the mid-range jumper already then. It probably probably <laughs> like he was he was already trying to work the analytics uh, in, into practice. Is there an art form? You said you modeled your career after sort of pattern your career after that strength of his is is there an art form to you said being nice to people obviously is a good start but is there an art form to what what he was able to do and then what you learned and what you were you've been able to do in terms of building those relationships yeah you know i, I think it's uh um uh, when they give you that column which i have a column that that is very similar to joe's uh column random rumina his random ruminations column I got that while Joe was still at the Tennessean. Uh, I think I got it around 2010. And I, I think what it is, is is I have never told anybody, people will call me and they'll say, hey, I know this isn't a very big deal, but I have always been quick to say, no, I've got 2,000 words to fill this week for that one page, along with everything else I'm doing. Uh, there are no small stories. I'll take anything you've got. And uh I think that was the big thing that I learned from Joe was that you put everything in there. If there's a youth uh, football uh, uh, camp taking place somewhere, 
provided it's got somebody's name attached to it, you know, like a former Vanderbilt or Tennessee player, because there's too many of them to list them all. But, you know, just anything like that, you just have to make people feel like they're important because, in honesty, they are important because you do have 2,000 words to fill, and that's a lot. And uh, uh, so just never poo-pooing anybody's uh, suggestion of something, which they more times than not, they come to you with, I don't know if this is big enough for your column, but, and then you come right back with, no, it's big enough, believe me. A lot of times what people don't think are big are big, you know, so there's that element to it too. But I think that was the the main thing. And uh, uh, I think people feeling like they're, I mean, we we talked about it earlier, uh, how everybody's a journalist now because of, things like this uh, podcast and Twitter and Facebook. So uh, before that, before all these elements came along, there was the part of people feeling like they were, you know, they were in the know and that they were a source and they liked that feeling. And you let them embrace that. And, and, you know, and I always come back and say, Hey, anything, anytime you've got anything like this, you call me up. Don't hesitate to let me know. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that that uh, that weekend column that you do because that's one that is one of my kind of appointment note that you cannot miss this kind of kind of pieces every single week, it, it, because I always find out something. And 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 you're right. And sometimes sometimes it's small stuff. But I mean, so, like uh, I used to live in Lebanon. Uh, you you have had you have had a number of Cumberland. Uh, things in there over over the years, particularly because uh, Woody Hunt used to be the the baseball coach out there. I think I, I think you wrote you wrote about Woody a couple times, but oh yeah, uh, but but I you always find something out of that, and that always, I mean, that becomes self perpetuating, right? I mean, like people read this and connect with it, and then they become sources. I mean, people 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 have latched onto that column. Oh, yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many people have called me who I don't know. And that's why I'm always sure uh, still to put my phone number at the bottom of it, uh, along with my email, because people are reading it and they're thinking, I wonder if he knows this. Uh, you know, th- this is big news uh, happening at, at, at my high school or at another high school. But, you know, the school I went to, we're doing this. So you get a lot a lot of that, too. Uh When I first started, I would labor over thinking, how am I going to fill this page up? And uh, uh, that went from about maybe six to eight months to thinking, what am I going to leave out? Uh, because I get so many tips uh, uh, with people that, like yourself, that read it and then think, you know what? I know something like this. Maybe he doesn't know this. Maybe he hadn't reported that. So I hear a lot uh, from from that. And I, uh, the other thing I hear is that it's still old school newspaper that people like to sit down and put it out in front of them instead of having to look at their phone and, you know, scan through. I mean, sure, there's a lot of people that read it that way, but there's a lot of people that like to uh, read it on Sunday in print. I have one friend, Milton Francis. He's uh, head of the West End Civitan Club. I I go out there and speak every once in a while, the Vanderbilt Civitan Club. And uh, he refuses. He's online. He's on Facebook, very active. He refuses to read my column when I post it. (laughs) And I usually post it by Wednesday. He refuses to read it on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, because <laughs> as you said, Steve, he has an appointment Sunday to read it. When he gets home from church, that's what he does. He has lunch and he puts the paper out. And it's so funny. He'll ignore news. You know, I try to have news in the first <laughs> paragraph. He'll ignore news for four days just so he can read it on Sunday. Love it. When you, when you think about like, just, obviously there's a lot to learn from Joe for a, for a, a million different reasons. And, and you talked about a lot of the sources and, 
how to treat people and all these other things. But just when it comes to churning out the copy itself and actually doing the writing, what is it that you think you learned from from how Joe executed? Because it, he, he put a lot of words out there. He did, yeah. Uh, well, kind of like we just said, there was nothing too small. And uh, um, but the biggest thing was to f- identify the, the 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 decision makers, the people that are, one are really in the know, and two are willing to tell you. Okay, I'm very good friends with Scott Ramsey. I've known Scott Ramsey for 25 years now. But Scott's not going to tell me anything, you know, that that, that he doesn't want me to know. <laughs> I mean, I'll just tell in in this form right here. I'll just tell you he's not a source because he's not going to tell you anything that you don't want to know. Now, at the same time, and this is coincidental, this week when I found out we had a new Titans beat writer, I'm at Mike Vrabel's news conference about to start. The new Titans beat writer shows up. I said, hey, I didn't. he got home from Houston quicker than we expected him to. And I said, I'm going to let you take this over. I got something to do. I went and called Scott Ramsey because this had been on my mind over the weekend, or at least since the uh, announcement of the new stadium. And I called Scott up and I said, hey, you told me a year ago, it was a year to the date, actually, that you're going to pursue a college football playoff at Nissan Stadium when they go uh, to 12 teams. I said, uh, uh, what does the new stadium do? And he said, the new stadium means that I will pursue a national championship instead of just a playoff. He said, because now I can host a national championship uh, because I have an enclosed stadium that can uh, host a a game like that in mid-January, whereas before we didn't have that. So that kind of looks like Scott is a guy that, I I don't know if some people think, did he just call Mike up and tell him that? (laughs) But he'll tell you if you you ask him. So that's the kind of source Scott is, but then you've got to identify other people that you know that if there's a coach search, they're going to call you and they're going to say, all right, here's what I know. Here's who's talked to Lipscomb. Uh, here's who's the MTSU's looking at. And you have to identify who those people are and if they're legit. Because uh, you hear a lot of it and then you go on Twitter and you see it on Twitter. That's where they, that was their source. That's where they heard it. <laughs> so that was one of the things with Joe uh, that he and I talked about was knowing who knew, who really knew things and, and, and who was connected. Well, and the, the Scott the, the Scott uh, Ramsey example is a really good example of having that relationship, and then that and then that's when it it becomes you know that that's when it turns into something news, not just because of the relationship, it's because you knew to call him at that time. Right. Yeah. And that by the way, that's the lead on my column this week because I try to have a a newsy lead each week. And yeah, it had been something that had been pressing on me, but I just didn't have time to call him because of I'd been covering the Titans. And when I finally got freed up, I thought, you know, I'm going to call Scott. And what's disappointing is when you call somebody like that, and this happens more times than not, that may be the truth, but they're not going to volunteer. They're not going to tell you. They're just going to say, yeah. well, no, we're, we're uh, you know, we're still, we're going to wait till the stadium gets up, wait till the proposal goes through and gets passed by uh, the council. We don't want to say what we're going to, what our plans are at that point. But I think that I've built a trust relationship with Scott over the years that he knows I'm not going to exploit it and make it say, sound like he's trying to uh, push the deal through just so we can get a national championship, which probably is true, but still. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely uh, true. <laughs> but, you know, that he's not doing it for self-servicing purposes. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, so just having those people as 
friends. And that's what I said in the, in the obituary that I wrote about Joe was that in the end, and for m- more than half his life, some of his closest friends, well, actually his closest friends were his sources. I mean, Joe Biddle became one of his closest friends, Vince Gill. I mean, Vince just doesn't show up at anybody's funeral and play. Vince was one of Joe's closest friends. And then you think about how connected Vince Gill is. I mean, and and all Joe had to do is once every week or two, just call him up and say, hey, what's up? And when he does that, that's not like, you know, the average guy you see at the convenience store and say, hey, what's up? Joe meant, what's up? I want to know what's up. So people knew that. They they knew he was fishing for things. And I think when they saw Joe, and this was what I, I, I go back to where we said people like to tell him, I think when somebody saw Joe, even before they spoke, they thought, what can I tell Joe? What do I know that he he probably doesn't know? There was how, a, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say how, what was the, what was writing the obit process like for you? Well, it was, I tell people it was the hardest thing and the easiest thing. Uh, one, we became so close. Uh and we became closer after Joe left uh, the Tennessee. And uh, we've had lunch together for years, uh, uh, at least once a month. Uh, not only being Joe, but being a lot of the former uh, Banner and Tennessean people. Uh, and uh, so we we were closer at, at his death than we were at any point when, when he, we worked together. So that made it very difficult. Uh, it was the easiest thing I ever wrote because I knew everything that I was going to put in there. I wrote it off the top of my head. The only thing I looked up was the exact number of World Series he covered, the exact number of Masters he covered, Super Bowls, uh, uh, Final Fours and all that. I did have to, you know, I wanted to have that specific. So I did look that up in an earlier story that, well, his Hall of Fame bio, I think, had that. His Tennessee State Hall of Fame. Uh, And beyond that, everything else was just off the top of my head. so, you know, it was easy and it was it was uh, it was hard at the same time. Uh, I found out that he had gone into hospice on Monday and they had told us probably three or four days and he died Wednesday, died two days later. So it was something that was already on my mind that it was going to have to do. Uh, I found out that evening, I guess, around seven o'clock. And I thought, well, I'll do it tomorrow. But I went ahead and sat down about around 11 o'clock and uh, wrote it. Took maybe an hour to do. One of the things that kind of fascinates me, uh, particularly about that era, is that, you know, you had you had Bill and Clymer and, and kind of going head to head and Woody would come in on some of that. Uh, but you had these people who were the who were the opinion leaders in sports. I mean, they, they were their job was to have an opinion uh, and usually it was informed by, by news and by reporting, but it was their job to have an opinion. Uh, and that's what drove the conversation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just sort of kind of what the influence was? Because when it was no accident that, that when, when radio was when sports radio here started getting bigger, that's who they went to. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, Plaster and Biddle were appointment, you know, were appointment drive time radio there in the afternoon uh, you know when when climber was on when climber was on uh with bob bell it was it was something you you, you didn't want to miss because you knew that that was that was the opinion to that was the opinion on the subject absolutely i mean you know you, you already knew the news you know the other reporters like myself had already told you the news you wanted to know what this meant you know 
uh, okay, they're going to build a, a new arena downtown. Uh, so are we going to get, uh, you know, the, all the story said was that, you know, that, that there's going to be an arena built and uh, that it could house a basketball NBA team, could house an NHL team. That'll never happen in the South or in Nashville for sure. <laughs> uh, what, what are the uh, 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 opinion writers saying? And so I think sometimes they took the opposite side of each other just for the sake of taking the opposite side of each other. But I also think we were fortunate in Nashville that one, Woody and Clymer were po- polar opposites. Uh, Clymer was an extreme uh, uh, liberal, uh, 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 more leaning Democrat uh, type of political person who, uh, in his beliefs, and then Woody was extremely conservative. So they were going to be naturally have opposite ideas and, and opinions on something. And then Biddle, I don't think anybody really knew. Biddle was more common sense. He tried to, I think Joe tried to, to tell what the majority people thought. Like, uh, and I don't remember what side he came down on when the, the uh, arena was built, but I'm sure he was like hockey in Nashville. I don't think that's going to happen. And then that gave Climber a chance to say, hold on now, never say never, you know. So uh, that that was the, the, the cool thing was that, uh, and especially during that era. And as what you said, uh, Steve, and, and I said earlier, uh, that's when talk radio started to boom. Uh, Bob and, and, and Bill King had been around for a while, but uh, when, when George got uh, uh, the sports night going pretty good on an FM station, that kind of took it to another level. And all that was kind of happening at the same time. Well, and that that's a, a, a an ecosystem where the guys with the the men and women with the access, the men and women doing the work, the reporting, putting in the legwork, building the relationships like they they were the gate, the true, you know, definition of the term gatekeeper. Yeah. And and now like we're never going to go back to anything like that. And and we all know all of the all of the reasons uh, part of that. And, and I want to go back to sort of having sources as your closest friends i do feel like that that certainly is is an amazing way to cultivate information and to to write really good quality content or do good good radio or whatever but i feel like i don't know you guys tell me if i'm wrong here on this i feel like you could get just destroyed for being too close to a source now like in on tw- i feel like on twitter if if you have an opinion about somebody you have a friendship with now, now Twitter is just going to be like, "Oh, you're biased. You're you're not seeing it clearly." Like, it, there is there a negative side in the modern era to to being that close to your sources? Oh, absolutely. That's I mean because everybody knows, everybody thinks they know everything about you. So if you break a story, you don't get credit for it anymore the way you used to. You get. You get, well, that's because he knows so-and-so at Vanderbilt who knows the athletics director at Vanderbilt, and that's where that came from. So, yeah, you don't – it's not your work, your your diligence that's paid off anymore. It's that – well, it's just who he knows, and it, he just sat back and let that come to him. And not only – I mean, that might have been what people were thinking all along, but now they have that platform on Twitter to come out and say it and tell all their followers and whoever follows them to this and it yeah it takes away from uh from your hard work well, sure it's, it's it, like if you have an opinion on the new stadium and you write a good informed story about the new stadium i can just see people being oh he's just he's just voted for cooper oh he just he didn't vote for cooper like i it's all it's almost like there's no 
new nuance put into how the information is being cultivated, I guess. I went through it this week when I wrote this story that we, we talked about earlier with Scott Ramsey. And as soon as I did, somebody on Twitter within a couple of hours came on. And it, uh, the first uh, comment was, uh, why are we talking about a uh, this stadium like it's a done deal? And I came back and I said, in the headline, it says proposed stadium. In the sixth graph, it says pending approval. And I, <laughs> I, I cut and pasted the, the graph. Uh, pending the approval of the 40 member council, council uh, 40 members in council, uh, and three times in the body of the story, it says proposed stadium. Well, this uh, lady came back and said, okay, you're right. But then another guy chimed in and said, no, the Tennessean's just trying to hype it because it means better business for the Tennessean. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm doing six years down the or, or in 2026, four <laughs> years down the road here. I'm trying to hype a new stadium so I'll have something to cover. I don't have enough to do right now as it is. But Twitter, got Twitter making st- experts of the world since 2007. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't have enough to do as it is right now, but if we got a dome stadium, then I would have enough to, that would really make my career take off. Oh God. So. If, if only, <laughs> if only Mike, you've, you, you alluded to it right here. I mean, you have had a Swiss army knife kind of career at Tennessee and you've covered literally everything. And you've been covering literally everything here for the last few months. Um, Tell me about going back and covering the Titans again and covering the Preds again and, and kind of, and kind of hopping back in. And then I'm sure you're, you're, you're dying to turn your attentions back to, you know, uh, one of the other, you know, 10 things that you're yeah, tell us, tell us why this, why, why uh, the fairgrounds isn't open yet, buddy. Come on, let's go. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the other thing. I'm just adding to all this stuff because when and I believe that deal will get done when that deal comes on, then I'll have another NASCAR race in town. I, you know, back in the summer, things always slow down a little bit. They used to, they don't anymore because as I said, we now have a NASCAR race in June. So you got to cover that. We have a uh IndyCar race in August, but things slow down around July. And when that happens, I kind of start thinking, you know. I hope I'm not becoming irrelevant at the Tennessee and I want them to count on me. And, you know, things are going pretty well right now. And I haven't been called on to do anything, you know, outside of my norm for the last couple of months or so. Well, it probably was was within a day or so of that, that I found out that Ben Arthur was leaving as our uh, Titans beat writer. And I didn't even have to ask. I knew that the next call I was getting was, uh, the my editor called me the next day and said, Hey, I'm gonna need you on the Titans. I said, To what extent? And he said, Full time. And I said, What are we taking off the plate? Uh, nothing. Uh, you're just gonna add this to your plate. So, uh, it, it sounds uh, hectic and, and you think that's something you dread, but it's not. I, I relished it because it, I thought, you know, I'm really glad that my editors my bosses still think enough of me to give me something like the top beat uh in the sports section uh for however long it could take and therefore while we thought it was going to probably be the remainder of the season they were just going to wait because it's hard to hire somebody in mid-season and And that's Gannett's not exactly helping you out with that these days yeah well Gannett doesn't want to do it for the quarter they just want to get out of the quarter you know without putting somebody else on the payroll uh but at the same time uh which is just business sense but Again, it's hard to hire somebody at that time. So 
I think they were just going to, well, I, I believe there was a thought, let's just wait till the end of the season. So that, that was in play. And then uh, I found out that I would be also covering the Predators as they got closer uh, to uh, to starting. So I found myself covering the uh, Titans full-time. The Predators not actually full-time, probably about half-time and uh, everything else that I covered. So, uh, again, it's a lot of work, and, and but I've learned to juggle it for one thing. That's the other thing. I can do things now that, you know, 35 years ago took me a whole day to do. So I can do things now and, you know, like writing a Joe Biddle obituary, you know, in 30 minutes or an hour that used to take half the day. So I can do more things than I used to do because I've just got so much experience at it. And uh, I enjoy covering the, the uh, Titans and, I didn't know I was going on the road with them until uh, I think I started on the uh, the week of the uh, Colts game. No, not the, not the Colts, the Raiders game, the, the uh, 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 Vegas game. And then uh, uh, I didn't know I was going on the road with them. But uh, lo and behold, I found out that Gentry Estes, our columnist, had gone to Prague uh, to cover uh, – uh, the the Predators, so we didn't have anybody going to the, the way games at the time. So I, I actually went on the road with the Titans. Well, at least at least you got to at least you got a Vegas trip out of it, right? Yes. No. And uh, a DC trip. I had not been to DC, believe it or not, in the thirty five years. So I got to go to DC. Got to drive up to Indy, which is an easy trip. And uh, uh, and all honesty, I've missed it this week. I've missed uh, you know, and I found myself paying a whole lot more attention. Uh, to the Titans and what's going to happen with Tannehill. And, uh, you know, Henry's got a foot injury. And I'm thinking, wow, I wish I could have gotten that story last week because that's a lot of page views, you know, and that's a, that's a lot of people reading. So uh, I missed it a little bit. Um, Mike, thank you so much for for being so generous. I, I just want you to, as we end the conversation, just sort of try – what is it that people should remember? I mean, again, you've had – you've known the man for a long time, Joe Biddle. What, what is it that people should remember – uh, about the career, about what he meant to the audience, you know, about the work he did. Just, I know you—it's impossible to encapsulate it all, but but an obit is is a lot more just kind of facts and, and information about somebody's life. If you were writing that, but writing it for sort of the the man that he was and the influence that he had on people, what what would you want people to know? And I hate to, and I'm going to give John Dwyer, who spoke at Joe's. Uh, 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 service Tuesday credit for this. Uh, and it was something I couldn't put in the obit because of what you're saying is not, you know, actually uh, a hardcore fact. Joe parked his ego and uh, never was big headed or too big to talk to anybody. When we would, we, we talked about all the restaurants we'd go eat at. I mean, anytime we went out on the road, there were always must stop places. Chattanooga, there were pl- uh, a place we had to go. 15 miles out of the way up a mountain to get to that he had to have a cheeseburger from. And when you walked in, he made the help feel so good. Uh, and they didn't know who he was, but he just, he went out of his way to, to be nice to the servers, to, to speak to the cooks. Uh, he was not haughty. He was, he never became, you know, he, he was a four-time sports writer of the year. He just didn't have an ego. And, and for somebody not to have ego in sports, is is one thing somebody is as successful in sports as Joe was to not have an ego is a completely different thing. And uh, uh, he would talk to any person off the street 
that would tell him something and he would treat them the same as he did, you know, a mayor or whatever. And, and he would he'd say, is that right? And, you know, then he'd have to follow up on it, but he would sit there and talk to him and make them feel good. And it was, it, it was just Joe. That's who he was. He never became, you know, he always said that he, he felt like he was uh, getting paid to do a hobby and uh, that he would have done it for nothing. And that's the way he lived his, uh, that's the way he's treated his career and lived his life was that he was very fortunate and blessed. I think that's a good place to, to, to end it. Mike, thank you so much for all that you you've uh, done today and for giving us so much time and for the two and a half full-time jobs you were doing there for a while. We, we do, <laughs> we do appreciate it. Thank you, man. Well, thanks for not calling me before this week. Cause I might not have had time for it, uh, the last uh, two or three months, but uh, today I got a little extra time. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. That that was Mike Oregon of the Tennessee and been around a long, long, long time and, and sort of two different tracks of conversation, one about Joe. And I think we've spent a lot of time uh, talking about Joe and his influence on people in this market and, and what he meant to, you know, to you personally. Again, I recommend last week's episode you can hear a little bit about Steve's relationship with Joe and how they work together. I, I do want to sort of pose a question before we get into uh, ratings and um, uh, some news from you, actually. I, I want to, I just want to, you'd be the guy I'd want to ask this to. So I figured we'd do it on the show. And that is when I listen to Mike talk and I listen to you talk and I listen to the, this, this certain um, guard of people that grew up in this traditional journalistic form where, where, appointment reading and gatekeeping and all these things are so critical to how information was distributed to the people. I just want to know if there's ever, is there ever any sort of mechanism or place in our media landscape that will allow for those types of things to ever occur again? Or are we permanently splintered beyond all repair in terms of how we consume information, because the issue to me, not to get too deep here, is not like that humans are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories or that we're we disagree on certain issues in life or sports or whatever. Like all that stuff has been around for thousands of years. It is that we have so much information more than ever before, like beyond the, the evolution of the brain. Do you expect anything like what we even had just in the 90s to ever come back around again to where we actually have monitored sources of information that are trusted for certain reasons and by certain people? I mean, yes and no. Uh, no in the sense that the revenue model for for that is dead. Uh, and that's why you see, for instance, Gannett announcing uh more you know they announced a huge round of cuts in august they just uh, you know we didn't ask him about it uh here out of for i mean a lot of different reasons but i mean uh, mike they're they're gonna make oregon uh go on a furlough for five days in december uh in order to cut costs uh, and and it's shitty and 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 it, it's you know th this this can derail into a Gannett thing here but uh, <laughs> That was the, not the, my that was not my goal. <laughs> no, no, no. But but the 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 revenue model has changed for news. Uh and for sports as well, but 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 particularly for news. And so I don't know you're not gonna see it in, in that respect again. What you're gonna see are uh a lot of other kind of smaller outlets kind of coming up with different models, uh trying to replicate parts of it. Uh but you're never gonna see the all in one 
you know, one-stop shopping kind of place again. I don't, because I, I think those audiences can be broken off. If you're a sports consumer in Nashville, you have so many different options. Uh, if you're a Preds fan, if you're a Titans fan, if you're a Nashville SC fan, if you're, you know, a Vanderbilt or, or Tennessee fan, you have so many different avenues to get information. You're never going to see these kind of like big box solutions um, because there's not a, there's not a revenue thing that's creating them. I mean, the, the revenue thing that, that created uh, that, that created newspapers uh, was advertising and then specifically classified to advertising, you know, and, you know, Craig Newmark took a gun to that in the early, you know, in the early two thousands, uh, the classified advertising pages. I mean, the, the, the profit margins on those pages were something like 80, 90%. And, and that was a license to print money. And that meant that you could put all these disparate audiences in one place, package them together, sell, different kinds of advertising against different sets of content in sections uh, and then, you know, bundle it all up and land it on somebody's doorstep at 6 a.m. or at, you know, two in the afternoon. And there, there's not, there's not an incentive. There's not an incentive to do all that again. There's an incentive to find, uh, to find pieces of those audiences and build around that. I mean, the, the, the Nashville banner uh, that that we're in the process of reviving will be will be news only. We're not going to do sports. We're not going to do opinion. We're not going to do endorsements. We're not going to do uh, you know features. Uh, we're not going to chase clickbait. Uh, it's just not in the it's not in the revenue model. Uh, and I think you're going to see more like that, uh, particularly in the nonprofit side. I mean, we're a nonprofit and it's no accident that the only growth in newsrooms in Nashville in the last 10 years has been in nonprofits. Uh, you know, WPLN is the only newsroom that has grown significantly uh, of any newsroom in Nashville. That's not an accident uh, because the, because the, the for-profit uh, ad driven revenue model is dead. And, you know, there's people that are going to pick over the bones of it for a long time to come, but you know they're feeling it on the broadcast side. They're feeling it on the 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 paper side. Uh, it's it's tough business. The broadcast side has has certain built-in advantages that that they will continue to exploit. But I mean, they're fighting. You know, just like newspapers fought uh, fought the the people coming in and taking their classified business or taking kind of like direct D advertising, yeah, uh, through the internet. You know broadcast outlets are fighting the same thing with 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 habits going online and streaming uh they they're all looking at kind of over the top solutions and kind of where that next generation of television viewers is going to come from and so yeah no it's a it's a it, it's a tough business i i it's it's interesting cuz i do feel like there has to be an end game to all of the the like the for lack of a better term the chaos that's out there, you know, we've talked about all these different factors, right? Like the mixing of opinion versus reporting, uh, the, the, the people themselves are driving the, what, what, you know, I, I have so many friends that complain about all these different issues with sports media. I don't want politics in my media. I don't want this. I don't want that. There's just so much complaining, but then they're the ones sending me the link to the stupid spreadsheet that's been color coded with a ranking of coaches that were fired. You know what right. I mean? Like, like, 
it, which came first? Which is it that caused this to happen? And there's a lot of other things, as you just pointed out. I, I just want to know what the end game is, because, like, again, I don't you joke. We joked about Elon Musk earlier in the, the show, but I think he's wildly ill equipped to handle human behavior because <laughs> it's not Twitter that he owns. He owns human behavior. Well, it, it's and a, human I behavior was having, is never going to change. We're always going to be who we are. I was having this conversation with somebody in DMs last night about, you know, are you going to stay on Twitter or, um, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And this is somebody who kind of built up a pretty good local following and, and, you know, depends on it to kind of like get, get their news out. And, uh, you know, after in a couple of weeks, what's going to become brutally apparent is that uh, if, unless you don't want people to advertise on Twitter, which Twitter does, uh, and you don't want to put completely put it in the ditch. I, I don't think the, 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 I don't think the doomsayers about Twitter are right. I mean, I, I just don't. I, and the people who meaning are, meaning what? Like that it's all gonna that, mean, that, would, that it's all gonna go to hell because Elon Musk owns it now. I, I would I, mean, I would argue, I would argue it all went to hell ten years ago. <laughs> well, that's what you to say. I mean, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, the hell that we joke about the hellscape that is Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're on Twitter right now, it's not going to demonstrably change. Uh, no, I I guess what I'm curious about is sort of a. Like when I think about Joe and I think about Mike and I think about, you know, the 90s and I think about Jim Wyatt and I think about just sort of, all right, we had these six, seven, eight, 10, 12 names, whatever they were. They, we, we trusted who they were and what they were doing and what they were delivering to us. And, you know, you could go all the way back to Walter Cronkite at news at certain times. And this was the news. And like, that's obviously those method, those mechanisms are gone forever. Those are never going to be back the way they were at that time. I'm just curious if there's ever whatever the new version of that might be in 20 years from now. And again, I don't know if that involves private business doing it, nonprofit business doing it, if it's government regulation on information being more accurate and more transparent. Like, I don't I don't I'm just this is a totally, you know, general philosophical open ended question. There's not like a it's more just like, do we ever think we're ever going to get back to where we find something that we all trust and believe in, or is it always just going to continue to splinter further? I guess is again, it's well, an unanswer- I, it's an unanswerable question that I'm making well, I, you I, answer, Steve. Well, I I think you can build trust in, in in those, and I think that I mean this is why when Dimitri and I started having these conversations uh, a few years ago about the the loss of local news. And like, kind of, how do you how do you combat that? When when we decided to rebuild the banner and rebuild it in this kind of very specific news only kind of way, uh, it, it's to sort of address those issues of loss of trusted information, and and the the reasons for that are myriad. You you can say, oh, you know, Brand X across the street is 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 doing a shitty job or they're not the they're not the publication that they used to be or whatever else you know the the flips of the the the, there's other pieces to that too which is that you know partisanship and uh, partisanship has been has sort of weaponized against the media uh from some very bad actors some 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 very bad actors have, have 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 kind of gone after the media because for, they for, don't deca- want, for decades <laughs> for, for decades now okay. and, and because they don't want they don't they don't want those gatekeepers that you're talking about they don't want pe- they don't want independent yeah. people 
verifying what they say or what they don't say uh, or, or holding, holding, you know, people in power accountable. And you know, that's become a partisan issue, but that's always, you know, I got news for you. I mean, the, the people in power, it's a power dynamic. It's not a right left dynamic. You know, the, the, if you go to, if you go to blue States where, where, uh, I mean, I, I moved down here from Illinois where I've been in Chicago for, for most of a decade, I guarantee you that, that the people who run the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, who are all Democrats, fucking hate the Chicago Tribune, <laughs> and, and it has nothing to do with it has nothing right. to do with their right. their uh, their editorial board. It's because you know, I mean, the the Chicago Tribune was up the ass of Rod Blagojevich and ended up, you know, seeing him off to jail, uh, and Rod Blagojevich was a Democrat, and. It, it's all the, the the dynamic has always been that people in power don't like being held accountable uh, by independent actors, specifically well, the media. And and I wasn't even trying to intentionally take this down to like a political path. Um, but, it, you know, again, I we could keep going with this topic and say the, the even even within those that example, it's not, you know, the, the both sides ism is 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 so atrocious to to track and to watch. It's so obvious and transparent to see it when it happens. Uh, I was just more like, Hey, is there going to be like, you know, Jim Wyatt crosses the street and becomes a Titans reporter. And we're all like, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> like now what do we do? And I, like, I, 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 those things are, are always going to happen that, that you're, I think we're, we're in an era, particularly in a digital era where the, the possibilities are so much greater than they were before, because it doesn't require somebody you know, investing millions of dollars in a printing press and, and, and distributing right. that out buy paper every day or you know spending money on an fcc license uh and investing you know millions of dollars in broadcast equipment and and building an operation that way well i mean i i, I say this as someone who launched a digital company a to z sports launched a digital company i mean yeah, there's the barrier to entry is not particularly high for podcasts let's say yeah <laughs> you, uh, just, you just sit in your house <laughs> i mean but the but i think that there are there is and and this is what we think at the banner. You know, there is an opening for, uh, for deeply reported contextual news uh, by trusted voices uh, that that on that on a local level. And I think and I, I think on the national level that divide has become yeah, too, too great. great. And yeah. and and you're gonna it, it's going to continue continue to be worse or to, to trend worse. But I think at the local level, you can build trusted sources that people. Uh, that people want to support and want to go to every single day. Yeah, it, and so, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's strike, part of the experiment we're doing right now. It, it does not strike me that uh, elected, like the Senate of the United, like the United States Senate, along with Zuckerberg, Bezos, and Musk, it doesn't feel like those are the people that are going to solve the problems. No, um, I, 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 none I, of I, them. I half of half of the Senate doesn't even know what Twitter is. So, like uh, the and the other three think they've altered the universe by their their technological genius uh without any understanding of human behavior whatsoever <laughs> so, so apparently um uh, not so i've got a fun recommendation we're gonna end this conversation this doomsday conversation with a much higher <laughs> note um but i know you got some news you want to distribute to the good folks out there yeah so uh our partnership with channel five the the banners partnership with channel five starts started this week uh if you're listening to this on friday morning the, our first piece aired on um Aired last night at six o'clock. Uh, 
Demetria did a really great piece on kind of the glassification of Nashville uh, and, and, and the, the, the Nashville skyline. And she talked to a bunch of people. She talked to, uh, she had a really good interview with Tony Girantana, who's responsible for putting a bunch of those glass buildings and has ambitions to, to put, you know, even bigger, even bigger buildings downtown. I, I uh, lived, um, I lived in one of them. <laughs> she, she talked to you know uh you know uh, an architectural historian about the lnc tower and and about uh, and to an engineer about kind of like what are the dynamics of kind of living and working in those in these glass buildings and and are these going to last and uh, he had a really funny line that, that channel five's been running in the promos all week that said you know hey man even the it's like a friend of mine said even the even the dumbest of the three little pigs ne- didn't build his house out of glass uh you know the it's just a it, it's just a really good piece uh if you if you want those pieces delivered to your inbox go to nashvillebanner.com sign up there um we're in the middle of a a, a fundraising campaign called newsmatch where it's a big national uh, funder gives us x number of dollars uh some generous donors match to that and then uh we're raising money from from uh from the public uh and so you can go to you can go to ban- nationalbanner.com and and donate if you want to. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Um, you can see a bunch of our work there in a, in our newsletter archive. But the but the if you want to give right now, your the impact of your dollars are essentially triple because there's a two for one match for for everything uh, for everything that you give. And so we thank the people that have given us a bunch of money this week and. Uh, We've got a you know that campaign's going to run through the end of the year, but we've been made we've made a lot of progress on that, and we've made a lot of progress on kind of like our bigger master fundraising uh, that will get us launched in 2023. So it's been a it's been a good few weeks, but we're really excited about this partnership with Channel Five. Um, they are hands down, I, I think the best. Uh, they have the best um, broadcast news outlet. Uh, they're the best broadcast news outlet here in in, in Nashville. Um, they have a lot of really good reporters. They have, they have some great behind the scenes folks. Uh, we're just, we're just excited to to work with them. We've got a couple, uh, we've got some longer term projects that we're talking with them about and, and, and then we're going to partner on. So we're really super excited about that. So many teases in there. That was, that was nice. I like that. Uh, <laughs> obviously support local business, nationalbanner.com sign up. And then of course, all the stuff on TV. So I've got a really like a, we're we're taking a strong right turn from the left lane here on my recommendation, so I'll 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 buffer that with some ratings. How about that? Uh, NFL football Titans and Texans number one in the ratings book, a twenty one point four, which Man. puts which puts it behind the Giants game, uh, behind the Vegas game, uh, but just ahead of the Washington game and well ahead of Indianapolis, uh, both Indianapolis games and the Buffalo game. So. Um, a 21.4 for the Titans. Wow, that was hard to watch. Kentucky, Tennessee, which was not competitive at all, a 14.3, uh, nice. which, which was as good as almost any Tennessee game did all of last season. Remember, Tennessee, Alabama pulled a 25. Uh, got any predictions for this weekend against Georgia? Uh, it's not going to be Bama numbers, but I, I got to say, uh, I having think you, Tennessee I think it be sh- close. So having Tennessee show up as number one in the in the college football yep. playoff yep. rankings, which by the way are bullshit, don't pay attention to them for weeks. <laughs> I mean, don't get don't get caught up in the hype. 
listen to listen to a football show they'll probably tell you the same thing <laughs> um it's not going to be alabama but it might be close i, I uh, think it, if it's close game it'll be close yeah uh i, I have very little faith in what's go- in the outcome of this game so i mean oh really you're not you feeling know, it huh you're feeling georgia big huh okay uh, look man the uh <laughs> the clock the, 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 the football clock. the football's been pulled away too many times. <laughs> the clock um, will strike uh, midnight at some point, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 honestly, I think the, the best path for the best path to the, to the to the playoffs for Tennessee is to lose to Georgia and not have to play Bama again. It's possible, but the counter argument to that, you may be right. The counter argument to that is like Georgia last year, 12 and 0 and playing in Atlanta, you're already you've already clinched a spot. Doesn't matter what you do. Again, Georgia got hammered in that SEC championship game against Bama and hadn't had a beat didn't have a win over them earlier in the season and still was already locked into a spot in the playoffs so i mean they, i just you can argue that you can argue that one both ways i just don't want a situation uh, i just don't want to see a situation where you're gonna have to play bama three times i mean well, that's I, just, I yeah that would that would be awful <laughs> that would that would not be good go lsu uh all right uh bears and cowboys 11.7 packers bills 11.1 and then florida georgia and 8.4 how about this interesting note here uh, again, from News Channel 5, Mark Binda, each rating point worth 11,685 homes. That according to News Channel 5. Um, World Series game number one and game number two. Five? Eighth and 11th on the ratings list. What was what was the number? So there you go. Uh, I do not have those numbers. Thanks for asking. Uh, uh, <laughs> but they finished eighth and 11th. Fifth was Florida, Georgia at an 8.4. So you're probably talking in the four or five range. Four, five, yeah. six range. Yeah, uh, it's the World Series, man. Now it is Phillies and Astros. That's not, you know, if it was Cubs, Cardinals, Braves, you know, anything that Cincinnati Reds, which will never Subway happen. Subway Series, course. yeah, which would never happen. Then maybe, but uh, Phillies, Strohs, not exactly two huge markets here in Nashville. So, uh, all right, quickly recommendation here, and then we'll move along. Uh, you don't get one this week because you just spent all that time promoting your company. Um, <laughs> uh, th- this is this is a podcast that's been going on. A couple of months now, you probably know Corey, Ryan Forster, and Trey Crowder, the, the liberal rednecks, the well-read comedy tour. But I want to recommend a podcast that is just like mine. Like it's it's smart. You're going to learn some stuff, but you're going to laugh the entire time. And it's not really about politics at all. It's called Putting on Airs. Uh, here is the write-up on the podcast. Putting on Airs is a podcast where two good old boys from the rural South learn about and analyze fancy people and their culture. Join, 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 fancy red, people, fancy people, join redneck comedians, Trey Crowder and Corey Ryan Forrester as they try to make sense of the world's bougiest bullshit. <laughs> the very first episode was about Casanova and I learned all about Casanova. They just sit around and try to explain historical events and figures and, and, and concepts and they, but they do it in their own possible way, putting on airs. If you want to laugh. If you want to have a good time and not take anything so seriously, check out Putting on Airs. It's a great podcast. Uh, Corey's from Chattanooga, and and uh, Trey is, of course, a big Tennessee fan from, and Corey's a Georgia fan, so they've got a big, <laughs> they've got a big one this weekend. It's a big week this week, uh, yeah, for them. So uh, Trey's a Trey's a funny dude, man. Yeah, he is. He's they're, a they're funny both, dude. They are both absolutely hilarious. Uh, they've got a ton of you know big career stuff happening, but that podcast is. Like them at their purest form, just being super, super smart, super funny, uh, but doing it in a very relatable way. So putting on airs, check it out. Really funny podcast uh, and lighten the mood after listening to all of our doomsday conversation about the future of media and humankind. 
Uh, other than that, go to Jasper's, everybody. The parking is for free. The food is amazing. The specials are great. I'm going to cater my entire party this weekend with Jasper's. You got, you know, you get 10, 12 people fed pretty easily for not a lot of money. Jasper's will do all of the work for you. Uh, it's fantastic. So go check it out. And again, the restaurant, the next evolution of the sports bar. Steve, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Scavendish uh, or Instagram uh, if you like, you know, pictures of dogs. Uh, or you can go to NashvilleBanner.com and check out what we're doing. Uh, sign up for their uh, sign up for our first look newsletter. Uh, it's right there on the homepage. Uh, we will deliver news straight to your inbox. There you have it. Uh, check out all the other great shows from the 440 Sports Network. Fringe Element this week featured Joseph Goodman telling Brian Harson stories from AL.com and Seth Emerson from The Athletic uh, talking all things Georgia and Tennessee. We got playoff rankings. So check out Fringe Element this week, a mega cast of huge college football news. There's never been a more SEC week in my life than Auburn firing its coach, stealing the athletic director from Mississippi State the same week that they play while two top 10 matchups take place on Saturday. It's the most SEC thing that's ever happened in the history of my life. So go check out Fringe Element as well. For Steve, thanks to Mike Orgut for hanging out with us. My name is Braden Gall. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.